0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Morrissey Movement, the purpose of this podcast is to discuss and share one aspect of fitness and one aspect of medicine. Being a general surgeon and a garage gym athlete, I have a strong passion for both of these aspects of life. So sit back and enjoy the show. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. I am in no way forming a patient-doctor relationship. While the aspects discussed in this podcast are medically accurate, you should always discuss with your doctor any questions that you may have about the content. You should always discuss with your doctor before starting any new exercise or dietary changes. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Morrissey Movement. I am your host, Dr. Chris Morrissey. Hope everyone's had a good week. We had a pretty good weekend. We started off doing our Christmas stuff early with my wife's family out in Western Kansas. Then we just got back today and hosted a foreign exchange student Christmas party at the last minute at our house. So it's been kind of a busy week. But anyway, I wanna thank everyone for listening. It looks like I've had about 100 listeners or so, which is awesome. Um, Today's gonna be episode four, and today is gonna be called Botox and Bone Density. So we're going to talk about the different aspects of Botox, mainly in the cosmetic sense. I will most likely do another podcast regarding therapeutic Botox for migraines at a different time. Uh, Real quick, I wanted to also talk about today's sponsor, which is Rejuve Spa here in Winfield, Kansas. I'm actually the medical director for this spa. So we do a lot of cool things, do a lot of massage, do facials, photo facial therapy, um, I do a lot of procedures at the, at the uh, spa as well, including Botox. I also do fillers, um, which I can talk about on a different podcast. Also also do something called PRP, which is platelet rich plasma. Um, I also do sclerotherapy injecting little spider veins. Um, so we do quite a bit of things down there. So if you're ever in the area, you want an awesome massage and or some other cool um, things that you can stop on in and you can have this done. So anyway, so again, like I said, I'm gonna talk about Botox today and also bone density and the the uh, a, avenue of bone density that I'm gonna cover is talk a little bit about the pathophysiology and then also talk about how different ways you can improve your bone density. So today I'm gonna to start off with giving a little bit of background on Botox. So it's been around for quite a while. Um, it's, they've been using it for different things in medicine for years now. Uh, so the main mechanism of action of Botox, basically, so to, without getting super geeked out in the biochemistry realm, um, you have these little end plates at the end of your nerves, um, which basically what happens is, is you inject Botox to the area, and the Botox actually does not allow the little chemical entities to happen at these end plates, thus reducing the lines in someone's face and or the effects of the muscle that you are injecting into. Um, so Botox is actually from, which is a botulinum toxin, the, the bacteria that it comes from is called Clostridium botulinum. Um, So this is found actually, you know, you hear about the floppy baby syndrome when babies eat honey. This is one area where you can find this. But anyway, um, there's three main different types of Botox that are injected. Um, One is called Botox, obviously. The other one is called Dysport and the third one is called Xeomin. Um, So these are the three that are available in the United States. Um, So there's different manufacturers. Xeomin is actually made by a company called Mertz Pharmaceuticals. Botox is made by Allergan. And Dysport is made by Ipsen BioPharm. Um, So depending on where you are, different people will use different neurotoxins to obtain their effects that they are desired to to get. So um, where I am, at the rejuve spa i only use botox it's been around the longest it's and it works you know it does a really good job um, so that as far as the chemical names of the difference uh, the zeomin is called inco botulinum toxin a botox is ona botulinum toxin a and dysport is abobo or i'm sorry abo botulinum toxin a so um, they're just different chemical isomers um, the effects are a little bit different, The what's called the LD50, which that is the lethal dose that would kill 50% of the population is a little bit different. The length of effect is a little bit different. So there's lots of different little properties, but they all in the end have the same effect. Um, so what is it like to go through the entire process of getting screened and then getting Botox? So. What happens is, is a client will come to the spa or wherever else the Botox is injected, and you will get, you know, you'll fill out a questionnaire, which is a typical medical questionnaire asking about blood thinning medications, any history of having Botox before. Different facilities have different forms that they'll have you fill out, but um, so then you'll meet with the injector and/or an esthetician that'll kind of get an idea of what you're looking for and then based off what you're looking for then we will formulate a plan collectively and then deliver the Botox to you so um, you'll show up to the facility and uh, then For instance, myself, I will meet you, and we'll sit there and talk, and then we'll decide what we think you need. Um, If you've had it in the past and I've injected you, typically I usually just say, hey, did you like the results? Do you want to change anything? Do we need to go any different areas? And so on, so so once we decide our plan, then we formulate how many units we think you need. So there's not really any specific test or uh, scan that can be performed to determine The strength of Botox that you need or the amount of units um, is sort of a guessing game and also it's helpful if you've had it before and you can tell the injector what you've had, where it was injected, how much, if that's possible. The other thing to consider too though is the concentration that it's mixed. Some people dilute their Botox a little bit more than others. My, I myself um, make mine a little more concentrated. That was the way I was trained by one of the Allergan um, trainers. So that is how I inject Botox. So so what we do again is we sit there and determine and um, Botox is priced by per unit. So each unit is a certain dollar amount anywhere between 12 to 15 dollars a unit and then so then typically the way i inject botox is i do five point injections along the forehead and then i do five point injection between the eyes and then depending on what else you would be desiring um, and i'll talk about the different areas here in a few minutes but um, we'll determine how many units you need um, based off of what your outcome is wanting to be So, when you come to the room, we have you lay down in a chair and then we'll cleanse your face with an alcohol-based cleanser making sure they're removing all the makeup, making sure there's no areas it looks like to be a local infection or a cellulitis which would be a contraindication to injecting Botox there. So what I usually do is I'll get a makeup pencil and then I draw lines basically in the middle of your pupil from the from the hairline down to almost right above the eyes. I usually inject my Botox in between these areas along the main muscle of the forehead called the frontalis muscle. And then what I do is I typically mark out with a pencil, put little dots of where I'm gonna inject so that way the client can know exactly where the Botox is gonna go. And then they kind of get a sense of um, how it's gonna be. So I kind of make a W type pattern along the forehead alternating from little bit upper on the forehead to a little bit lower on the forehead so I do five-point injection on there and then I go in between the eyes and make a V type shape so basically I go kind of above the nose and then just inside the eyebrow line a little bit above the eyebrow line and that is where I do my facial Botox as far as forehead goes Um, the uh, the muscles that you're inhibiting Close to the eyes, one's called the procerus, and the other ones are called the corrugators. It um, kind of gives you the frown, um, and so we like what we try to do is try to smooth those lines out. Um, and then depending on the amount, you know, the, the kind of the bare minimum that I would inject anywhere depending on the strength of the muscles is two units per area. So typically the minimum amount of Botox you would get injected would be 20 units. Um, some people need four units per area. So they would get a total of 20 along the forehead and 20 between the eyes, which would be 40 units. So it kind of depends on your budget and also what you need. Um, some of the other indications of Botox would be what is called the crow's feet, which is the little lines outside of your eyes. So um, Um, If you desire having those injected, I'll also do three point injection just outside of the eye and then a little bit above and a little bit below kind of over on the side of the face um, on both sides. Uh, You can also do what's called a lip flip or you can inject along the upper lip to kind of give it a little flare out. Um, you can inject smokers lines, which you know if you purse your lips together and there's a lot of lines over your lips That's another area that can be commonly be injected to try to smooth those areas out um, <clears throat> As far as other medical uses of Botox outside of the cause the cosmetic realm um, sometimes people have what's called an esophageal stricture which is kind of just a little narrowing in the esophagus so you can get these dilated with a scope and a balloon but also there's another way you can do it which is by using botox so you would mix a concentration and inject multiple units around the stricture to cause that muscle to relax another use in the surgical world is you can do this for a um, chronic anal fissure Um, injecting botox around this area is an option of treatment if few other the conservative measures do not work Um, but anyway so as far as again in the cosmetic world those are the main issues main uses I use for Botox Um, I have pretty good success with this most clients really like it and again you know you you inject once and then you have them come back to and you can um, kind of alter your plan depending on how it goes so The bad thing about Botox is that there's no real antidote. So once you get injected, if you don't like it, you're kind of stuck with it for three months. That is typically the length of time that Botox will last. Some people can get longer out of it. Some people, um, it doesn't go quite as long. So it just kind of depends on the person's metabolism and a lot of other factors, how much you exercise, any other underlying medical conditions. Um, There was a recent article that i read in the literature earlier this year that actually taking 50 milligrams of zinc orally is supposed to make your botox last longer i am unsure of the mechanism of action of this but i do inform my clients of this you know everything with covid um it's just kind of makes sense to take zinc anyway so it's definitely not going to hurt anything unless you have some sort of weird zinc overload in your body which i've actually never seen but that's just one of the things that you can do to try to make your botox last longer Um, and i'm a pretty big stickler on the three month rule because what can happen is if you come in and ask for botox sooner than you're ready for you could actually develop a tolerance for botox so let's say you you know dropped four or five hundred dollars to get around you know depending on the price 40 to 45 units of Botox and then if you come in way too often and people agree to inject you then then sometimes you may be spending double just to get the same effect because your body gets used to it. It's sort of like when you drink alcohol, you can develop a tolerance but also you can develop antibodies to Botox which will basically mean you know your body forms an immune response to this so once your body senses that it's there it will attack it and destroy it so Botox actually stops working on you um, which I've heard of before. I've personally never seen it at our facility But I know it does happen. So that's another thing you kind of got to be careful with. So um, that's, like I said, I'm pretty a big stickler on not coming in before your three months is due. So um, those are really the main things about Botox I wanted to cover. So again, it's very safe. It's been going on for many years that they've been using it. And like I said, I will also cover therapeutic Botox in a separate lecture or a separate podcast so to speak so um, more to come on that later on but that's really all that I was kind of mainly planning on talking about Um, you know if it's something that you're interested in feel free to find you know if you're in the Winfield area we'd love to come see you at our rejuve spa otherwise you know go to your local uh, either med spa some plastic surgeons or dermatologists will do it in their office as well just kind of get a good sense of who you're dealing with and uh make sure that they have a good reputation before going getting getting injected by with botox so so that's what i have about botox so now we're going to transition to the other part of the discussion which is on bone density i'm sure most people have heard of this before um but uh you know, bone density or how thick the bones are, so to speak, or the amount of calcium in your bones. Um, That is kind of the big thing, especially more in postmenopausal women, but men can also develop these issues. So um, one of the big things that you will see is something called osteoporosis, which most people I'm sure have heard of. Osteoporosis is actually the reduction of bone density and is usually diagnosed using a DEXA scan, which DEXA stands for dual energy x-ray absorptivometry so um, basically it's a measure the amount of minerals mostly calcium and phosphorus that are contained in a certain volume of bone and then bone density measurements are used to diagnose different conditions it can be osteoporosis which is by a large decrease in bone mass there's also something called osteopenia which is sort of the go-between it's not quite there yet but it's getting close to losing a lot of bone um, density so um, and the higher degree you have of bone density loss increases your risk for fracture Um, so lone bone density can occur in patients treated for cancer Um, you'll also see this referred to as BMD or bone mass or bone mineral density is another thing you may see in the literature so Who's at risk for osteoporosis or osteopenia? Not everybody will get this. Um, There's a certain risk factors that can increase the likelihood that a person um, will have moderate to severe loss of bone mass, including the following. So gender for one, women are typically at higher risk. Uh, because they have less bone mass to begin with than men. Women also experience a loss of bone mass after menopause, like I alluded to earlier. As far as race concerns, Asian and Caucasian women, um, especially those that are small-boned, structure are at the highest risk. Family history, so patients with a family history of lone bone density mass have a 50 to 85%, depending on what you read, increased risk of developing osteoporosis. Age, most people, men and women, lose about half percent of bone mass every year after the age of 50 Um, so depletes slowly but then again like if you have some of the other risk factors this may go faster for you Lifestyle choices, so poor diet, which lacks calcium and vitamin D, smoking, excessive use of alcohol or caffeine, lack of exercise, which ironically we'll discuss here in a few minutes, can contribute to the loss of bone mass. Um, Certain other medical conditions, hyperthyroidism, or basically your metabolism is ramped up and your thyroid is working too hard. Hyperparathyroidism, which this means you have four to five little glands called your parathyroid glands, which basically their job in a nutshell is to regulate calcium uptake in your body. These are located on the backside of your thyroid. Um, so if these are working on over time, they can also lead to this as well. And there's something called Cushing syndrome. Um, there's also certain medications uh, most commonly prednisone which is oral steroids um, depending on you know a lot of some people have autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis or things like this that may warrant having prednisone Um, also phenytoin is another drug that is known to cause this as well so what will happen is when you get a a scan you'll get a what's called a t-score which is derived by comparing it to the average score of a healthy 30 year old person of the same sex and race, so the difference between the normal young score and the patient score is referred to as a standard deviation. So T scores can fall as low as negative one standard deviation and can still be considered somewhat healthy. Um, Patients with a T-score between negative 1 and negative 2.5 are diagnosed with osteopenia and are considered at high risk for osteoporosis. And then patients with T-scores lower than negative 2.5 are diagnosed with osteoporosis. So so for these patients, treatment is usually necessary and includes some medications to help increase bone mass as well as lifestyle changes and diet. Um, So I'm actually so now you have kind of laid the groundwork for this so the main reason i chose this is you know being a general surgeon i don't really treat or deal with osteoporosis directly in my practice but i do believe in uh, exercise and you know this is one of the things i feel the slightly older population does not exercise probably as often as the younger population so which is kind of a sad deal because some of these things can totally be prevented or possibly at least lessened with proper diet and exercise. Um, So there's a study uh, that actually they kind of did a meta-analysis. It's a systematic review and a meta-analysis on the effect of resistance training on bone mineral density in postmenopausal women with osteoporosis. So they went through and screened a whole bunch of different uh, studies and trials. And so they finally went down to 23 randomized controlled trials that they included in their, in their meta-analysis. Um, so they did a risk bias evaluation, um, showed that the overall literature quality was above medium. Um, So the meta-analysis showed that compared with a blank control group, the resistance training group had a significant effect on improvement of bone mineral density of the lumbar spine. Um, There's a bunch of numbers which doesn't really matter. Um, The bone mineral density of total hip, bone mineral density of the femoral neck, and also bone mineral density of the greater trochanter, which is kind of the area where the hip meets the thigh, so to speak, if you're unfamiliar with the terminology. Um, The final kind of end game of this study was resistance training is beneficial to maintain the bone mineral density level of postmenopausal women with osteoporosis and can be an important part of exercise therapy for postmenopausal women with osteoporosis. So basically, there's a whole bunch of studies that were summed in one few statements stating that resistance training is great for all people across the board so there's not really one thing that can increase your bone density better than resistance training and you know some people um, view resistance training as the bodybuilders or crossfit individuals however resistance training you know in my mind the definition of resistance is basically just straining your body against a force more so than just your body weight So, you know, if you're 75 years old and live at home alone, you could get two milk jugs and use this as your weights. You don't have to go to a gym and see all these huge steroid freak individuals, you know, bussing everything out in the weight room, grunting and yelling. You can get a lot of good training in your own home, which I'm a big advocate for. So this is another thing in science that proves that resistance training is good for everybody. And there's another study also the the title is changes in spinal bone density back muscle size and visceral adipose tissue which is like the fat around your intestines and your guts um, following a multi-component exercise program in older men Um, this is basically a secondary analysis of an 18-month randomized control trial so there was 180 men in this trial They're anywhere between the ages of 50 and 79, and they're randomized to either exercise or no exercise groups. The exercise groups involved high-intensity progressive resistance training going around 60 to 85% of their maximum strength on on different lifts with weight-bearing impact exercises for about three days a week for 18 months. Um, So their bone mineral density was assessed as well as their... um, in the L1 through L3 and also the paraspinal and the psoas muscle size and cross-sectional area. Um, so the exercise group resulted in a net gain in back muscle cross-sectional area, um, but there was no effect on the visceral fat around the muscle and around the organs relative to the no exercise. So this indicated that um, there was a positive change. Associated with the resistance group and versus the no exercise group, um, there are no group differences in the muscle bone relationship. Um, so basically this just again shows that, and this was kind of specifically looking at back muscles, but you get the picture of you, if you do different strength groups to different, or strength training to different muscle groups, you should get the same effect. So again, I have a big proponent of this in my lifestyle, and I'm also a big advocate for this. So if anybody ever, you know, comes to me asking for advice on this, I definitely, you know, I'll say resistance training all day long. um, It's like I said, it's been shown in science to that it is good for everybody. Um, so anyway, that is the end of the show for the week. So hopefully everybody enjoyed this again i'm going to try to keep cranking these out every week i appreciate everybody that's listened and again this is an open platform so if anybody would like anything covered or would like to me to answer questions please feel free to email me at the morrissey movement t-h-e-m-o-r-r-i-s-s-e-y-m-o-v-e-m-e-n-t at gmail.com and i'd be more than happy to address anything on the show. And please also leave a review up to five stars, whatever you feel is worthwhile. I would really appreciate that. So thanks again for tuning in. Remember, get up and get moving.